McConkey. Dave Holmes, how, are you, how are you? When you first logged on to Zoom, you <sighs> presented me with the most glorious mane I have. I mean, there it is, shaking oh it God. out on camera. I'm so sad that this, <sighs> for the people, that this is an audio medium because if they could only see. What did you call yourself on Instagram with this hair? Uh, a guitar tech for Greta Van Fleet. There you um, go. The uh, Led Zeppelin tribute band that's tearing up the charts. I, I truly, I have, I, you know, for a moment I was a flaming lip. I have now, I have now breezed past that. I am, it's, it is so voluminous and crazy and I don't know what to do about it. Because um, I can't really get a haircut. There's been talk of, uh, of a friend of a friend who's uh, who does hair. So we were like, what if we get her in the backyard for a full day and just cycle people through, pay her in cash, yeah. do one of those kinds of things. But there's also a part of me that's like, I don't want to take any length off until there's a vaccine. I want them to see what they did. Do you know what I mean? Right, right. You want to make them suffer. It's a Jackie O in the But I would argue that what you're actually doing is incentivizing them to drag it out longer. Oh Okay. Well, it's just, it's really good. Because it's that, it's that good. Okay. Thank you. You're, you're too kind. You're too kind. You are looking healthy and beautiful yourself, Matt McConkie. <sighs> and now you're hiding it under a hat. Um, I don't know. I'm fine. It's DNC week. It's DNC week. I, I, it's 108 I, degrees. I don't have a single. Yeah. I don't have a take. I don't have a fucking fresh thought in my mind. Yeah. Between the extreme heat and the, uh, the mm-hmm. you know hey look we're democrats but not like that because here's colin powell mm. of it all it's like it's all it's just squeezing the life right out of me um did we get sarah gideon uh introducing maggie rogers on a on a rocky main beach yes we did that was great what did maggie rogers have to say she didn't say anything she performed or- Oh, she's saying. Cause it, so it's kind of like sure. one of these Zoom, you know, uh, telethon type concerts from early in the life. Yeah. You know, um, Michelle Obama's speech, of course, was uh, was beautiful and rousing. You know um, what? Didn't care for it. Really? Just kidding. Okay. She's a perfect human. That's what I'm saying. It's like, yeah. I, what can I say about this or any fucking current event that everybody hasn't said by now? Yeah. yeah I, it's just it, to me, to me here. Let me let me let me bring it back to the subject matter of this podcast. To me, the DNC this week feels very much like coming out to a conservative family. Like I'm different, but exactly mm. the same. Like don't worry, right. I'm not oh, going to sure, challenge sure, you sure. in any way. I'm not going to make you change your position. We're never going to mention Medicare for all. We're never going to mention police brutality. We're never going to you know Black Lives Matter is not really going to have a place here. Like we're not we're not mm. going to speak to any of the things that progressives are fucking screaming and fighting for justifiably they're screaming and fighting justifiably they're not ignoring it you know what i mean yes, it, it's yes, it's yes, just yes. very much like we're basically republicans let's just get this weird crazy person out which is noble in its way but also like kind of frustrating you give aoc it, it is seconds, I, fuck. I, I, oh yeah what a shock um but uh Speaking of coming out, yes, <laughs> that's, that's there's nowhere to go with that. It's just it's a half a rant. There's a look. Um, we've we've really enjoyed the flesh hunger journey, and we sure have. I hope it continues in, in in many ways. But we are kind of segueing into a meet cute. 
yeah moment uh, uh you know a new mood i don't like talking about picture. i don't like talking about hot sexy stories at a time when nobody can touch it's frustrating it's frustrating right. for the listener yeah and it's disrespectful to yeah. all the people that we, are, can't touch anybody we titillate them and then it's just like well you're at home with your parents yeah. So Too we're going to take it all the way back to G-rated, PG right. at the most. Yeah. Uh, with these meet cute stories we've yep. been soliciting from you to tell us, uh, you know, first time you met the love of your life uh -huh. or just uh, just a great meet cute that you had maybe with somebody you never saw again yeah. that was extremely memorable. Give us your Hallmark Channel moments. And you have. We have got a ton already. Um, we got our first one. We have not yet read this one. Matt, are you ready to dive in? Fresh, cold read. Uh, let's dive in. Okay. Hi, Matt and Dave. My name is David. Hello, David. And a couple of years ago, I went to a Halloween party with a friend dressed as a Transylvanian, which are the kind, which are kind of the extras or party goers of the cult classic Rocky Horror Picture Show. Mm -hmm. Needless to say, it was a very niche costume. Is that niche? Uh, and not as iconic or recognizable as, oh, well, sure. Not as iconic or recognizable as Dr. Frank and Furter. For further? Further. Fair. Uh, but I was very into it and felt cute. Plus, I don't think I could have pulled the Dr. Franken further if I'm being, look, if I'm being honest. Mm -hmm. Okay. At the party, I was approached by a guy dressed as Nickelodeon's Hey Arnold's cartoon best friend, Gerald. That is a real deep cut. He pointed and screamed at me, niche. you are a Transylvanian. I was shocked that someone even knew what I was. I screamed back at him, yeah, I am. I love your costume. He replied, I love yours. And Dave, what happened next? Well, I'll tell you, Matt. What felt like a good opportunity for an introduction or a longer conversation fell short due to the bar's crowded and loud atmosphere and my lack of flirting ability. It's tough to flirt in a loud bar, especially if you do not do it naturally. Two months later, in late December, I was on Grinder and started talking to this guy. We were having great chemistry. But I haven't gone on any dates yet. We were discussing favorite holiday movies, and I told him mine was Home Alone 2 because Tim Curry is in it, and I'm a fan of his work, especially the Rocky Horror Picture Show. I told him how on Halloween I went to a party as a Transylvanian and got recognized by one guy, and that kind of made my night because I knew my costume was too specific. Now this is where the story takes a very Nora Ephron, you've got male twist. He told me he was that guy who recognized me. He complimented my oh. costume and told me I looked very cute. What are the odds? I've had a meet cute in person, and I didn't even know it until it was digitally formalized months later. Matt, what else happened? That realization made us have a bigger connection, but we couldn't go on a date because I was visiting my family for the holidays. Oh, we talked from Christmas to New Year's almost every day and finally like met up in January for our first date six years later and we're still going strong what with social media and dating apps it's harder to have a meet cute i'm glad that it worked out for us the way it did and that bar interaction grew into much more with little help from the internet oh they take us home p.s i love your podcast and hey shine light on different queer issues it's amazing to get to hear from other queer people and their experiences in life growing up and dating some of them really resonate with me and at times help me reflect and understand myself even more with love, David M. David M., oh, that is David why we started M. this show in the first place. That is adorable. Um, a party-goer from uh, Frank Furter's house is way more recognizable than anyone from Hey Arnold. I don't even think I would recognize Arnold. 
Absolutely not. Let alone his best friend, Gerald. Uh, This was obviously meant to be David M. We love you and really appreciate you. Truly. uh, A little shocked that your favorite Tim Curry movie is Home Alone 2 and not... Oh, a holiday movie. Got it. Favorite holiday movie. Okay, okay, okay. That's 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 fair. Love it. I Thank was going to so say much, not Clue. How is it not Clue? How but, is it not Clue? What the uh, hell? Think you can top David M? Get it in here. Get it in. Homophiliapod at gmail.com. Send it. Uh, you can do a, uh, a voice note. You can do, you can write a little essay. You can do whatever you, you can do it as a poem. You can do it as a verse. song. You are free to do what you want any old time. Homophiliapod at gmail.com. Also, we are soliciting uh, five-star reviews. We're basically soliciting uh, compliments, and I'm so glad we are. Mm-hmm. Um, we got a great one from Courtney in L.A. just recently. I gave this podcast a try because I had read Dave's book, Party of One. Thank you, and loved it. I've now been listening daily, and I'm so into it. I don't recognize the names of many of the guests they talk to, but I've learned not to care. That's oh. the spirit, Courtney in L.A. I just click <laughs> on an episode, and I wait to fall in love with the person, which I always do. Mostly because Dave and Matt love the person and it comes across. They they ask good questions. Sometimes we do. Uh, They cover interesting ground. You learn neat things about the guest and you end up caring about them and wanting to go watch all their work. During this stressful pandemic time, listening to an episode is like hanging out with friends. And I come away from each episode with my faith in humanity. Reaffirmed. Can't recommend it enough. Courtney in L.A., thank you so much for that. That too is what we aim to do. Um, that's right. That's beautiful. And, Thank you. So you know, much. and I, I, I love the slight shade of saying I don't know most who most of the guests mm-hmm. are. Doesn't matter. Expert we shade. get through it. Expert we shade. fall in love with them anyway. But also that that part of it is that that it, we always love the guests and it comes through. And here's the thing: sometimes we don't. Oh but boy, that's that's true. our devotion to our craft. That's exactly right. Podcast. Go through the catalog and see if we can find the ones we even like. Um, <laughs> But the good news is this week we truly, truly love yes. the guest. Yes. Someone who we knew and liked before we talked to them. Byron Lane is an yeah. incredible writer. Um, he is the uh, the creative force behind the uh, very funny stage show Tilda Swinton answers a Craigslist ad. He had a web series called Last Will and Testicle about his battle with testicular cancer. Uh, and now... Now, Matt. Now, Dave, his book is, uh, its uh, his novel just came out and we've been encouraging people to read it as the homophilia uh, summer book club selection. A Star is Bored is Byron's debut novel and it is inspired by his time uh, working as Carrie Fisher's personal assistant. And I cannot recommend it enough. Hopefully people have read it so that they can enjoy You'll Love this uh, interview, whether you've read it or not, yeah. but Listen absolutely to should. Um, yeah, and, he is. Uh, oh, and you know what? And, and once we get through this, our next uh, book club recommendation should be Broken People by Sam Lansky, uh, which is uh, another debut novel mm-hmm. from a lovely upcoming guest. That's right. Maybe we'll talk to him in the coming weeks. But for right now, ladies and gentlemen, Byron Lane. Byron Lane. Okay, we're back with Byron Lane. 
Byron. Byron. Hey. hey, you guys. Live and direct from Palm Springs, California. So nice. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. I love your pod. We're Thank so, you. so happy to have you. And D- Dave, yeah, do you guys know each other in real life? Yeah. Or have you met him? Mm-hmm. You do. Okay, good. Yeah. We party together here and there, you know, life. Here, there, and everywhere. Um, so you're, you're in Palm Springs at the moment. How is that? It's really lovely out here. It's a beautiful, sunny day, blue skies, not a cloud out there. Um, I was telling a friend who was asking about the heat, if the heat was too much. And maybe it's, maybe it's like 100 today, but if it was 118 yesterday, then today feels lovely. Like 100 is like, yeah. oh, this is, we Literally. finally got a break from the heat. Oof. Yeah. Wow. It's nice out here. Um, though. It's and are people taking it seriously? Is it, is it locked down? Are people masked up? What's going on? It's tricky to say for me because I'm pretty serious about it. So I stay home and I really right. only go to the grocery store or the doctor. And, uh, but uh, it, doesn't seem, it doesn't seem like people are being too loose. Like it seems Good. like people are uh, trying to be serious, and, and, uh, which is great. That is good. What has been a typical day in your life uh, in quarantine lately? It's been a little bit um, tricky. Uh, I'm kind of getting back to normal. I had a recurrence of testicular cancer recently. So I just got done with chemo. And uh, so I'm kind of getting back in the groove, you know? My hair is starting to grow back a little bit. Yes. Wow. Yeah. And so I'm starting to uh, get a little busier with work stuff. And um, so I'm resettling. But I try to start every day. You know, I go for a walk in the morning before it gets too hot. I... Our little dog Tilda gets me up pretty early, so she and I go outside, and um, and then uh, you know just kick the day off. You look like a new marine recruit. I feel good the, about that, right? Right now, that, yeah. yeah, in a good way. You I just hope, started yeah. boot camp. Yeah, That's no, it's right. a good luck. I'm all in. I'm all in. I love it. <laughs> I used to be so stressed about my hair, you guys. Like, what, what do I do? What kind of style? What's important? What what's what's the what are the trends? And then when I lost all of it, it was like such a relief. And then now I'm starting to get back into the, what do I do when it grows back? You know, uh-huh. but, but yeah. it's, been, it's been nice to have it short. Yeah. And you look great with long hair and with very little hair, which very few people can do either of those things, let alone uh, both. I was so scared of what was under there. I was so scared, <laughs> but it, the shape of the head is not terrible. And uh, so I feel like I dodged a bullet. You did. You're blessed. Um, what have you been watching and consuming pop culture wise? I'm into Umbrella Academy right now. In uh-huh. the thick of it. Uh, my boyfriend, Steven and I, we just watched uh, season one again to get us ready for season two. And I think we're in like episode five and I just, I just love it. At Umbrella Cat Academy. It, what is the like log line of the umbrella? I'm sorry, I'm not even familiar. That's all right. I'm a big nerd. So it's basically um, five uh, five people with sort of superpowers who are raised by like an eccentric billionaire to stop the apocalypse. So Great. there was an apocalypse in season one that they had to stop, and now we're in the thick of uh, some dramas in season two. And there's a talking monkey butler. There's a talking monthly but- monkey butler. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. What am I waiting for? And Ellen Honestly. Page is in it, right? This is the... the mm-hmm. That's right. Oh, got yeah. it. Of oh, course, yep. yes. Ellen Page, she's great. Yeah, it's fun. It's we, dynamic. It's beautifully shot. And uh, it's just really fun. It's fun. So Steve and I cook some dinner, and then we, we 
get into it and uh, we're going to town. But I also loved Old Guard. We watched that recently. That was amazing. Mm-hmm. We just finished the Howard Eshman doc, which was awesome. Oh, so, yeah. So we're good. hungry for content, you know? Sure. Starving for it in yes. these days. Yes. Um, we started the Umbrella Academy and the Magicians at the same time, and they were so similar, and we couldn't decide which one to go with, so we just stopped watching both. You know what? Listen, that's an easy choice. That was mm-hmm. you made the you made the easy choice. You just got out. You just got out. But I mean, listen, we got nothing but time right now, so we'll probably dive back in, and it will probably be the Umbrella Academy. Okay, all right. I hear you. I haven't seen the Magicians, but I hear great things about it. It's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun. Um, what about music? What are you? What are you? What are you? Brave enough to share your last three Spotify searches. I'm not afraid of you. Um, so Spotify, Great. I'm not a Spotify person, to be honest with Apple you. Apple Music, but, whatever. Uh, I know, I'm so boring. I'm boring with Apple Music too. Do you know the last thing I listened to was uh, the motion picture soundtrack for Moulin Rouge. That's sort of That's my, fantastic. When I'm on my walks, that's like my morning uh, go-to playlist. Uh, I cut out yeah. the ones that I don't love. But, uh, you know, I keep the good ballads, you know, and I'm just listening to you and Nicole just live their truth. And uh, that's so exciting. Yeah, yeah. It will run for 50 years. That's right. Steve is really good with the new music. So sometimes while he's cooking, he'll put on his his music and I'll say, well, who is that? What is that from? And it's all a mystery yeah. to me. But um, but yeah, he's like our new music guy. Thank goodness for him or it'd be it would just be that and the bodyguard over and over again. Somebody, somebody's got to be clued in. But you know what? The bodyguard is fantastic. Not oh, for nothing. Yes. Is that a massive? Like you know, I I didn't really know that soundtrack until much much later. It wasn't until I was like out of school and in New York City and hearing Queen of the Night on a regular basis. Interesting. And Interesting. I really and sad. got to know the rest. Of, very sad. Yeah. Yeah. Very That's sad. Great. The whole album is so is so so great. So. And that was my favorite movie, you know, when I was a bit younger. And I don't know. So lots of nostalgia. A lot of nostalgia. Why not? It's, it's a good time to, to, to hearken back to better moments. Yes, I agree. Um, yeah. I can't, I can't, I, I reviewed some stuff that I wrote in 2018 about how terrible the world was. And it's just adorable. From Isn't that funny? How- the perspective mm-hmm. of 2020. Oh, it all changes so fast. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I had no idea how good we had it. Byron, but what you are, were your other favorite uh, childhood movies and childhood obsessions? Um, I loved um, Don't Tell Mom the Babysitter's Dead. Mm-hmm. And uh, so the scene at the end where they do the sort of fashion show thing, I wanted to have that kind of life. Oh, yeah. And uh, I remember one time having turning it up so loud, I was just jamming to them doing this fashion show. And my dad came home from work and was like, what the hell is going on up there? You're going to blow out the speakers of the TV. So that was my thing. Big business. We had Bette Midler and Lily Tomlin. Guys, I was Come in a on. rural part of Louisiana. And I just related to the country Sadie uh, so much and wanted to be city Sadie so bad. So th- those, were my, those were my go-to films. Oh man, that's good comforting right there. Yeah. Yeah. Fabulous. Mm -hmm. So you are now in the middle. I mean, you, you are, the book has just been published. A star is bored. Yeah. A star is bored. Pub day was uh, July 28th. So it's out in the world. It's fresh out. That is, it's a crazy time, right? It's a crazy time to be doing this. I got to watch uh, Stephen, you know, he's, he's on his third book now and I got to watch him release the first two and there were all the, 
book signings and crowds here and there. And then he traveled for all of it. And then now me, it's kind of like, oh, I'll set up some yeah. Zooms. You know? Yeah. <laughs> So it's been, it's been different, but it's also been lovely. Everyone's been so kind. And to be honest, there's a little bit of pressure off. Like, I don't feel like I have to, uh, you know, in some ways, like if the, if people are like, meh, meh about the book, I'm like, well, it's a pandemic. Well, you're Great, ready to do. Yeah. Right. If it wasn't a pandemic, right. I'd be traveling around, knocking on doors, hawking this thing. So I just kind of doing what I can and, uh, and I'm okay with it. But so that has just like the reaction. No, that has not at all been the reaction. I'm really lucky. I'm really lucky people have been kind of into so. Yeah. Um, so is it just wall-to-wall Zooms and phone calls? No, no. No one no one cares that much, I wish. The, the first week, though, was uh, back-to-back phone calls for radio stations, mostly back east. So yeah. it was like, wake up at 4 a.m. and talk to Ron in the morning and uh-huh. all that kind of things. And you really... For me, I just I didn't know what to expect before it, it started. So it'd be like Ron's dynamic adventure, and I'd be like, "Oh, okay, let me get revved up for Ron." And then Ron comes online, it's like, "Good morning, let's talk." Mm-hmm. About so I never. It was always a little bit of like, "What's happening?" And they're yeah. all quirky because they're sleep deprived, I guess, and um, all that. But so anyway, those were my morning back to back calls. But that stuff's lightened up now. Those are disorienting as hell. Yeah, because it's got to oh, yeah. be—it's got to feel like the first time every time. But you're oh, doing yeah. a oh, lot, and they're, and they're so different. My favorite was this one guy who was like, uh, "All right, Byron, so here's how it works. We're gonna—I'm um, gonna let you do the talking. You know, this is about you. You say what you got to say. You hit your bullet points. If I ask something weird, you just answer whatever you want, and you just go to the next thing. You know, like I spoke maybe like ten words the whole time. Like it was sure. just like this guy's just going to town. He's living his fullest life. You know." Uh, and is he going to town on your book? Is he at yeah, least talking yeah, about you? He's talking about the book. After every answer, it would be like, and we're back with Byron Lane with A Star is Bored. This is a great book. You know, just all that kind of thing, like reintroducing. Yeah. The only thing that made it odd to me was that he was sort of like, it won't be that. And then <laughs> yeah. now we're on we're and it's that. Very much that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So how did it come to be? Because I, I mean, I remember just... Um, seeing on Facebook this beautiful post that you wrote, you know, years ago when Carrie Fisher passed about your time with her and, and was so moved by it. And what was, was that the beginning of the journey to writing this? It really was. So I had worked for Carrie Fisher as her assistant for three years. And then, uh, yeah, when she passed away, I wrote that post. And uh, that was the beginning of kind of reflecting on um, how important that relationship was to me. Um, the ways in which it changed my life and in many ways saved my life. And, uh, and so then I, I started writing about it and uh, ended up with uh, a stars board. And I wasn't sure at first what uh, avenue it would take in terms of, um, would it be a book? Would it be a script? Uh, but, um, but there was just um, so much. And uh, before you know it, it just felt like a novel and it felt, uh, it felt like something I wanted to share with the world. You know, she is someone who turns her own life into art. Uh, did you, do you think that she knew at some point that you would write something like this? She hired me cause I was a writer and a, yeah. a former journalist. And she used to say to me all the time, uh, well, there would be little things that would happen. And she would jokingly say, don't put this in your book. So uh-huh. there was always a sense of like, 
that kind of spirit. But the truth is she was really, she lived her life an open book. Like Carrie Fisher didn't right. have secrets. She was um, honest and open about everything. And, uh, and she used to say to people, take your broken heart and go make art. And that's, mm-hmm. that's one of the things that I have echoing in the back of my mind as I was uh, working on this is um, yeah. taking, taking my heartache and turning it into something uh, positive. Uh, so it's obviously it's a novel. It's a fictionalized account, and you say uh, in the maybe in the for at some point you say you know if you really want to know this isn't really about Carrie Fisher. If you want to know about Carrie Fisher, read her own her own work, which I appreciate. But I also, and I'm sure many people, still read this as if this is like a exact account of what happened to you with the names changed. How, is that accurate? Well, this is fiction, and yes. I wrote it that way because it's it's just more fun. You have more creative opportunities. You can heighten everything, including uh, the things that happened to uh, Charlie, the assistant, the things that happened to Kathy, the actress, Charlie's family. And also, Carrie herself used to like to write in this way, take, take a real life and let it inspire a fictionalized version of it all. It's also the kind of thing I like to read. Um, so it just felt like a natural fit to, um, to make it fiction. Hmm. But some of the stuff is inspired by, is inspired by real life. Like I had a great time working with her. Like every day was super fun. Um, I think we both, uh, cared for each other a great deal. There was lots of trust and respect and great communication. And we did travel all around the world and I'm just some poor kid from Louisiana. And all of a sudden I'm with, Princess Leia in some um, emperor's palace in Japan that's been converted into a hotel that you can only get to by river. And so I, I did have some of those experiences. And so I tried to just capture the spirit of that time together and, uh, and put it in the book. But uh, for the most part, the, uh, you know, the dialogue is obviously made up and, the, you know, some of the scenes. And um, Carrie and I also didn't have a lot of drama. Like we kept things um normal and uh we had good communication so uh the book also had to manufacture some plot so uh, that's why it just it it really is fiction can you give us a little reading if you don't mind yeah yeah, yeah. i'll read just i'll read a tiny bit i've never done this before yeah yeah this feels very exciting to me all right so this is a bit um all right so you've got this character named charlie who's uh whose life's not going the way he wants, and he gets this opportunity for a job interview with his idol, this movie star named Kathy Cannon. So he has arrived to her mansion. He gets buzzed in the front gate. He runs up her her walkway, and this is him uh, shortly after he knocks on her front door. The air seems to thin out to make way for her. The front door swings open, and like embers shooting up from a fire, She appears, her hair blown back by the door, an e-cigarette dangling from her mouth, her eyes widen and her lips part, and she says, hello, I'm Kathy Cannon from Jaws 3. I hold my breath and stare at her. Kathy Cannon, Priestess Talara, real and living, barefoot and disheveled, dressed in a flowing black robe over a loose black t-shirt and tattered black leggings. She's wearing no makeup, no pomp or circumstance, no fucks to give. Her face is tired but alert, familiar yet mysterious. She looks so much like the woman I remember from my childhood movies, yet donning gravity and time like some kind of disguise, like some kind of mask that's taken up residence upon her, leaving her both an old, beautiful acquaintance and a strange, fresh new one. You answer your own door, I blurt, a mix of surprise and enchantment as my eyes adjust to her like they're suddenly seeing daylight. 
Yeah, she says, we had a butler, but he died in the pantry a few years ago. Who are you? I'm Charlie Besson. I'm a big fan. You don't look very big, she responds, intimidatingly sharp for being so tiny. Five foot one with all that life squeezed into that little frame. She grabs the door as if ready to slam it on me. I'm here for the personal assistant job, I say. Not the colonic, Kathy says, disappointed, yanking the e-cigarette from her lips and letting her hand flop to her side, her shoulders slumping, her other hand still holding the front door, letting it sway slightly closed, then open, then closed, as if she's considering. Excitement drains from my limbs. A colonic, ah, this is why I was granted such quick entry. She expected someone else, not who she wants, of course. Sorry, I start, feeling the magnitude of the not completely unexpected moment. My unforgettable hero has forgotten we had an appointment. Cue my shame, horror, foolishness. Except I notice Kathy Cannon beginning to smile. She stands up straight, pops the e-cigarette back in her mouth, lets go of the front door, allowing it to swing open. Acting, she says smugly, raising her eyebrows, proud of herself. Wow, I say, speechless, entranced. I'm just fucking with you, Kathy says dryly. Come in. She turns casually and walks into the wonderland that is her home, motioning for me to follow. She moves with ease, her comfort and calm at odds with the commanding surroundings. We're in the definition of a great room with vaulted ceilings and a huge disco ball the size of an oven affixed high overhead. Sunlight from a skylight is hitting the little square mirrors of the ball and sending twisting and twirling bits of pinks and blues and purples all around. The far wall is covered in antique portraits of animals, someone's beloved cat, aristocrat's precious dog, a bird that looks suspiciously like Sean Penn. Kathy turns back to me as I pass through the doorway. Uh, please wipe your feet, she says. The floors are made of endangered trees. That's so good. From that's, a that's star is born. Yes, that's, that's, like, that's me from a star is born. That's right. The you got exact, it, yeah. That's the exact um, uh, uh, section that I was hoping you would read. Is like, it's... it's Charlie meeting her Aww. where you talked about how that relationship saved your life in some ways. Where were you in your life? What were you up to when that job came along? So I had studied journalism in college. I wanted to be a big fancy news anchor and anchor the today show and all that stuff. Live in New York, live the fancy life. Um, so I started as a writer in New Orleans and then I got a job as like a news reporter in Alexandria, Louisiana, which is like market 200 where the biggest story was like someone dented the stop sign, like nothing happened. Mm -hmm. And uh, I couldn't get a job after that. I looked kind of young, no one would hire me. And uh, finally I got lucky and got a job as a reporter in Vegas, a TV news reporter in Vegas, but it was for like a cable channel that the CBS affiliate owned. So uh, I worked there for a while, worked my butt off, and eventually they promoted me to their morning news reporter for the CBS affiliate. And that job was really depressing. I would get to work at midnight, listen to a police scanner with a photographer. And we would drive around from crime scene to crime scene. You were nightcrawler. I was totally nightcrawler, guys. So it was like the craziest shit that happened in the middle of the night. That, those were my stories. And then when 7 o'clock rolled around, put my tie on, uh, try to brush my hair and uh, and then do a live report on whatever was the worst bloodiest thing And so I was in Vegas for three years. That was a terrible depressing nightmare It was like sleep deprivation and all that and then I left uh, Vegas that is kind of the Vegas Story though. Sorry that to interrupt is the Vegas story. Yeah, you're you're yeah Every Vegas experience is the same thing sleep deprivation and uh, terrible deeds that sometimes end in blood Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. bloody and tired bloody and tired 
Um, so then I ended up uh, in LA. I had some friends who worked at CBS2 and KCAL9 who got me a job interview as a news writer there. And so I just kind of, the, the only position that was really available for five days a week was a writer for the overnight show. So I did the same thing. I showed up at midnight. I would type the copy that went in the teleprompter for the anchors to read. And I did that for like seven years. And in the meantime, during the day, I would, I would go on auditions and I was trying to make a, a life happen with acting and writing and all that stuff. But, um, but that's what I was doing at the time. So I was, I was on the graveyard shift. I was down in the dumps. And, uh, and then I got an email from a friend who worked at Gersh, where Carrie was represented at the time. And my friend was like, hey, you want to work for Princess Leia? She's looking for an assistant who has a writing background. And I thought, oh, I'm not happy here. Why don't I go... Uh, why don't I go meet Carrie Fisher? Wow. Were you, were you worried about, because I mean, you know, celebrity assistants have great stories that are usually stories of, you know, personal trauma at, at work. Were you, were you concerned about moving into that line of work at all? Yeah. So I was worried, uh, I was worried one, like, uh, this was at a time when people were starting to doing lots of reality shows. So I was like, uh -huh. is she doing a reality show? Like, I don't want to be a part of that. And then I tried to yeah. watch everything I could about her. And so some of those things were kind of like, oh, she's, she's a very, she's a complicated lady. Yeah. Uh, like I watch her and her mom on Oprah and stuff. And I'm like, oh, um, she was in the middle of doing wishful drinking. So she was, uh, that was a play all about her family and, and drug addiction and all that stuff. So I definitely had uh, concerns that this might be like a, uh, a crazy thing. And my ego was also a little bit, you know, in my head because I was going from a career as a journalist, you know, to now I was going to be an assistant. Right. So I had all that kind of uh, bebopping around up there. But then when I met her, it was like um, her, her home was immediately disarming. Um, you, you can see her house in the, the documentary that she did on HBO. Um, it was just bright and beautiful and, and spacey and more like an artist colony than some rigid mansion. Um, she wasn't, uh, she wasn't crazy busy at the time that I was working there. So, uh, her schedule was very chill and she's a very chill person. And our meeting really ended with her being like, well, you seem groovy. And that was sort of it. And you do seem groovy. I feel groovy sometimes, Dave. Thanks. Yeah. 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 Can we talk briefly also about the uh, the other woman in your life, oh. uh, Tilda Swinton? Tilda Swinton. Yeah, I wish. Tell us everything real, about your <laughs> I wish your relationship real, with her. Yeah, yeah. So I wish the real Tilda Swinton was a a, a real part of my life, but uh, re really, I just wrote a play called Tilda Swinton Answers an Ad on Craigslist, and right. uh, basically, uh, Stephen and I adopted a dog, uh, and she's uh, blonde and beautiful, but also a little weird looking. And we were like, we should name her after Tilda Swinton. That's kind of Tilda's brand. And so we've got this dog uh, bebopping around and she's got one eye, she's a mess. And uh, I wondered what it would be like to live with the real Tilda Swinton. So I wrote this, I wrote this play, Tilda Swinton Answers Now on Craigslist and Tom Lank from Buffy the Vampire Slayer. And he's, he's famous on Instagram for doing like uh, red uh -huh. carpet looks out of garbage. Uh, right. He plays Tilda Swinton and uh, Mark Jude Sullivan is in it and Jane Entwistle and it's directed by Tom Detrinas. And so just this group of five friends, we all got together and we started doing this play and then it kind of started catching on. And so we did it in LA and San Francisco and New York. And then we went to Edinburgh Fringe twice and we did it two weeks in London. So it sort of took this weird life of its own. It's been a, it's been a really yeah. lovely, lovely experience. Of course, all of that is shut down now, but, but, uh, mm -hmm. but it was a wild ride. Yeah, it's such a funny play. Oh, thanks, friend. 
It we, is uh, such a funny play. We got close to a Tilda Swinton, real Tilda Swinton connection in Edinburgh. Tom Link was uh, handing out flyers. And so he's like, Tilda Swinton play, Tilda Swinton play. And this beautiful young blonde woman came up to him and she goes, Tilda Swinton. She rips the flyer out of his hand and says, this is my aunt. Does she know about this? And Tom's like, oh shit, you know, I, you know, it's really a loving, yeah. fun portrait. Will you want to come bring your friends? And sure enough, she came that night and she brought her friends and uh, had a great time and was showing us pictures of her with Tilda and said that she'd tell her, her aunt about it. And we never heard anything more, but it was a really, it was a really fun experience. Oh, that's great. She knows about it. You know, she knows. Oh, for sure. And, you know, I've heard of other celebrities who get a little bent out of shape when their, their name and likeness is used in art like that. But Tilda Swinton seems like she is uh, made for that. Like, like she does the stuff where she sleeps in a glass box in a museum and playing yeah. weird characters in disguise and all that stuff. So I think she likes yeah, she take She takes a nap for you. That's in a box. <laughs> Who does that? Yeah. Yeah. She's, she's down for some, some weird shit. That's like. right. That's right. Yeah. James Franco's not sleeping in museums. Angelina Jolie's not going to be hanging out in disguise, you know. Yeah. 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 God almighty. Shia, no, Shia LaBeouf, yes. But he's yeah. not going to be cool sure. about it. Yeah, it's a whole different experience with Shia. Yeah, yeah. Very different experience with Shia LaBeouf. Yeah. All right, so you are in Palm Springs with yeah. with the boyfriend. Yep. Tell us Steve about your uh, tell us about your romantic situation. Oh, at the, at so the Steve and I met. Uh, this is our anniversary. Wait, tomorrow. Tomorrow will be our seven years. And, wow. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Crazy. It's really my first long term serious relationship. Um, so I'm proud of that. And uh, we met on OK Cupid, and nice. uh, I I actually just proposed. What? Wow. I proposed in the acknowledgments of the book. And, uh, oh, yes, I do that. Yeah, yeah, I saw that on Instagram. That's right. Yeah, yeah. so I was, uh, I was not sure about that. Um, we had talked about marriage for a long time, but we never settled on anything or you know, made any final decisions of whatever. And so I thought, well, it isn't every day. I have a book coming out. So what if in the acknowledgement section of the book, I ask him to marry me? And, uh, but I know I was stressed out at the time. I was going through chemo, like... But it, I, I was going to do it. I needed to do it because the advanced reader copies were already printed. The hardcover was just going to the printer. So I reached out to my editor and I was like, I want to do it. Can, we, can I add a few words to the acknowledgments? And he said, well, what? What are the words? What? It's on its way to the print. And I said, oh, I want to ask him to marry me. And so he made some calls and sent some emails and whatnot. And uh, he was like, sure. So we added it in there. And then he, uh, fresh off the printer, he rushed it out to me out here. And I opened it up and I showed Steve and I was like, hey, I added some stuff to the, the section about you. You know, I hope this is okay. And he's like, what? And so he opened it up and then he gasped and then said yes. It was really sweet. It was really oh. I was really surprised is, by how giddy I felt. Well, yeah. yeah. That, that is incredibly sweet and also extremely bold because there's a lead time. Yeah. There, yeah, yeah where like I it takes a long time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for books to get printed and stuff, and so much. I was happen. stunned by how long it takes, but I, yep. that's you took and a the, chance and, and it paid off. Yeah, and the stakes are high because uh, here they're going to be in every copy. Uh, and in yep. fact, like after he saw it, he told uh, some of his relatives, like, "Yeah, he proposed to me the acknowledgments of the book," and they were like, "Wait, that's in every book, you know?" So yeah. it's in the Library of Congress now. So it was like, yeah, ugh. But it worked. And there's a chance you could have said no, of course. And I don't know. But, of course. Uh, but but at least out. you would have had material for a second book. <laughs> That's exactly. right. A second play. This, yeah. 
rage would have fueled my creative my creative projects for years. So you got two novelists under one roof in Palm Springs. Yeah, crazy. It is. Well, is it? I guess is the question. Well, I feel really lucky because um, you know I've had lots of questions about this process, and I can just shout out like, "Hey, Steve, what about this?" and He's been so kind about answering whatever I need. And I would say, so like pros and cons for me, it's the, it's pro, 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 like he's whatever I need for him. Like one con might be Byron has a lot of questions, you know, but we, we share our work with each other and that's really fun and rewarding. And we also get a little bit of the, uh, our creative process is a little bit similar where we like to work, 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 and then like take a break and check out or before the pandemic, it would be like, Hey, do you just want to have, uh, popcorn for dinner and at a, at a movie. And so, so we were able to kind of get on the same page with that kind of, uh, that kind of stuff. So it's actually been, yeah. I think it's been really nice. Good. And are you, when you give each other feedback, are, uh, is it no holds barred? Yeah. Yeah. We're both pretty honest. Um, my style of notes is um, I give people notes. I give Steve notes the way I like to get notes. So prescriptive. So a lot of my notes are like, like uh, more of this, more of this, more of this. Um, Steve's notes are a little bit more, um, bigger picture kind of thing. Like he'll say, uh, uh, like he might say to me, be more descriptive. And I'll be like, Oh, great. Here's the manuscript where, and he's like, Oh, yeah. I, didn't, I didn't mark it. Just, you know, in general, you know, so it's a little bit sometimes like that. So we have a little uh-huh. bit of a different style, but I think it, I think it serves us both. Yeah. It's a delicate dance. I'm glad with a fellow TV writer and we are, you know, read everything, give each other feedback, but it's, I think that he has probably bitten his tongue quite a bit because he knows, Oh, there's only one correct answer to that. Like if I'm too honest about this, we're done. Um, <laughs> I not, but high stakes. Um, yes. Very. Yeah. What were you reading and um, consuming when you were writing the book? Mm. What were you looking to as, you know, sources of inspiration? I, I will say I find it harder to consume, um, to read, get into a novel while I'm writing one. So that was tricky. But I, but before, I, uh, Carrie used to do this thing where she would read before she would write. And she kind of felt like it was like filling the coffers, getting the rhythm down, that kind of thing. And um so if I, if I had to look back on things that I kind of used to get me inspired, uh, I read a lot of Chuck Palahniuk. I fucking love Chuck Palahniuk. All of his books are um, dark and crazy, um, but they also feel like you're on a freight train. Like you are moving uh, from, from the first bit. Like Fight Club starts with a guy with a gun in his mouth, you know. And, uh, and I do like to, I don't have any guns in this book, but I do like to have, I do like to write in a way where things are just, it's moving, it's moving, it's moving. So this starts with uh, him at the gate and then the next chapter is him at the front door. I think, you know, so I try to, so I take a little bit of inspiration from that. So I think that, uh, I think that's probably my thing. So um, I did read Fight Club a zillion times, Beautiful Monsters, uh, Invisible Monsters by Chuck Palahniuk's also another favorite. So he was sort of my, uh, he's sort of my go-to guy. What'd you grow up reading? Oof, I used to like, um, what was that book um, about the doldrums? Uh, I don't know. It escapes me now. I'm terrible with titles. Um, but I, I like to, I like more fantasy type stuff. 
Um, and, but I also yeah. wasn't, and, and the books that I did read were, um, were honestly few and far between because I mostly was into TV. I was into He-Man um, and, uh, and then later on the, the movies that I mentioned earlier, like Big Business and, and all that stuff. But I, I, wasn't a, right. I wasn't a big reader. So did young Louisiana Byron connect with the homoerotic content of He-Man and the Masters of the Universe? Oh, for sure. Don't you think? I mean, how did you, how, how could people not? Yeah. Yeah. That was You're just a little bit after. Right. Oh, well, I'm talking the cartoon. Oh, sure. But, but you, we've all seen the live action movie with Dolph Lundgren. I have not. No. What? what? That is no. true gay camp. Yeah. Really? Yes. Oh, that's, it's, on, it's going on the list. Yeah, it's not great. It's, not it's in great, the queue. But yeah, but yeah, you should oh. see that. Yeah, I think I was tuned in all that stuff. I, uh, I, um, I, yeah, I really loved him and I loved the whole, uh, I love that whole universe. And I still, um, like nowadays when I'm sick or when I first started chemo, I'd watch some He-Man episodes just to try to chill out and capture mm-hmm. some happy moments, you know. Uh, how, where were you in life? What, what, what were you up to when, um, when you were diagnosed the first time? Oh, so um, for that one, I was an assistant at, a, um, at an entertainment company. And uh, so I was, uh, I was peeing and I was feeling my balls and I felt a lump on one of the balls. And mm-hmm. then I was like, oh, that's weird. And then a few months later, it was a little bit bigger. So I went to the urologist and he was like, oh, yeah, not good. Um, but we can't really tell what it is until we cut it out. So it's probably cancer. We won't know about the degree of malignancy and that kind of thing until it's out of, out of your body. And so, um, so that was 2015. And then once they took the testicle out, um, and it, it was cancerous and my tumor markers in my blood all went back to normal. So they were like, Oh, it must've been just contained and uh, you just have to do regular uh, CT scans or MRIs and we'll make sure that it doesn't spread or come back. But we don't think, we don't recommend chemo right now. So I was like, great. So uh, then I think the thing was like, if you go five years of regular scans with nothing showing up, you're in the clear. And guys, it was almost like five years to the month oh that God. I did a routine scan. They were like, oh, so, there's something weird there. So then the chemo thing. Uh, that was this year? Yeah. Yep, in April. Wow. And in, in, we're all talking about 2020 being a nightmare, oh, but Jesus Christ, that's... It's weird because it's, it's like good timing and terrible timing because, uh, you know, I'm not, I, don't, I didn't feel like I was missing out on things. It wasn't like people right. are like, oh, we missed you at the barbecue or whatever. You know, everyone was, was uh, you know, had to stay home anyway. So... In that way, it was good. I was also able to finish the chemo before the book came out. So chemo ended around July 1st, and the book came out July 28th. And I was also grateful to have the book to look forward to, so that was nice. And, uh, but but it, was, it was sad. It, and in, in the chemo, I was, I'm 40, uh, 42. I was one of the younger ones there, and uh, a lot of the people there had worse cancers than me. Testicular cancer is pretty treatable. So it was hard to watch. Uh, there was this one lady in there and she couldn't uh, keep food down. And so that also meant she couldn't keep her pain medicine down. And the doctor would come up to her because it's, we we're also in like a big open room. Everyone just sits in like lazy right. boys and they try to sit you like, you know, they try to do social distancing, but it's hard. 
so this doctor is talking to her and he's very somber and he's like, you know, we, I know you can't keep your pain meds down, but we want you to keep doing chemo. You got to, and she's like, I'm not sure. I got to think about it. And then he would turn from her and see me and be like, Hey Byron, how's it going? And so it was just like this crazy ass world where it was just mm-hmm. like, you know, and then the nurses are talking about their lunch and their plans and, and meantime, everyone's suffering. It's just like so weird. It was weird. Mm. Are you writing about it? I don't know. I did, uh, I did a web series after the first round called Last Will and Testicle. Mm-hmm. And that was, that was really fun and lovely and easy. And I think part of, the, part of it was lovely and easy because they were like, you didn't need chemo and I had an easy go of it. Um, but I, I mean, I, I did write down, I do keep notes on all the experiences that I've had uh, here um, with this recent round of chemo, but I'm not sure what form of art it might ever, might ever take. Maybe it'll be another mm-hmm. season of Last Will and Testicle. Why not? Why not? Why not? Yeah, guys. We got the time. That's right. Um, take us back to Louisiana, Byron yeah. Lane. What do you want to know? What kind of kid were you growing David. up? Oh, I was very serious. Um, I remember shopping for clothes and my mom would be like, uh, oh yeah, let's get you some jeans for school. And I'd be like, well, khakis are the same price as jeans. Why would anyone wear jeans if they could wear khakis? And so like I was a <laughs> nightmare kid. Yeah. Sassy boy. Sassy boy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So and uh, just a professional from, from a very young such age. Such a professional. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, I don't know, it was, we, we moved north of New Orleans um, when I was pretty young. And then, uh, so I at one point went to kind of a pretty rural school uh, in Franklinton, Louisiana, and then transferred for my junior and senior year to a school in Covington, which was a little bit bigger. And my memories of high school are, are I don't, in my mind, it's like, I was so alone and, uh, and all that stuff. But I think the reality was probably much kinder. Um, my sister has a, this fond memory. At one point, I, uh, she, she says I was kind of cool because I did this radio program like over the morning announcements. Morning announcements used to just be like teachers reading the announcements, but I was like, this should be like the Today Show. So I got my friend DeLeslin and I was like, come on, let's write a script and made the teachers all turn in their announcements ahead of time. And I went to the band and had them record like an intro. And so wow. then I would hold the little microphone and we'd do this intro and then we would read like today at Covington High. So I did do like crazy shit like that, that is kind of mortifying. When I think about that, I'm like, what? But uh, my sister thought it was cool. So that seems important to me. So wait, sounds pretty cool. Yeah, would this? It's it sounds very cool. We had nothing like this. Would you? So you would be recording somewhere, and people would be in classrooms listening to it before class started. Just saying it to you, I'm sweating. I'm like, I can't believe I did this. And uh, all right, so in the that movie, is big, bold. In the movie Big Business, um, there's a scene where uh, the bad guy basically gives the wrong character plans that they're going to strip mine their birthplace. And so it's a big drama. So the plans at the top said prospectus plans. And then it was like for strip mining, Jupiter hollow and all this stuff. And I remember seeing that and thinking, Oh, that's how you do business. So I typed up prospectus plans for like (laughs) this CHS today morning show. And I remember giving it to the principal and she must've thought I was such a lunatic, but, um, but she was like, sure. So yeah, so also all the kids would be in their classes and, uh, and I would be excused to go to the principal's office and I would go to the microphone and DeLeslin and I would, uh, would do these morning announcements to music. Wow. Yeah. Any of those recorded? 
I hope not. Um, I doubt it, but, uh, but we did it. Yeah. What is the strangest or wildest example of someone sort of crawling out of the woodwork or someone that you never met, uh, reaching out to you after the book came out? Um, I had a, I've had a lot of really special touching experiences like that. Well, one tangent is for the cancer stuff. Um, I tried to be open and honest about that whole thing on Instagram and people would reach out to me about their own experiences and that was really cool and rewarding. And, uh, and then when the book came out, I get lots of people who, um, had fond memories of, uh, of Carrie and like one lady was, was asking me if I remembered her from an autograph convention. And she said she, she was with a guy who had a lunchbox, a star Wars lunchbox that the whole cast had signed except for Carrie. And just as he was getting up to her, the time limit happened or whatever. And so they stopped it and she had to leave and we were on our way out. And, and this lady said, she told the guy, well, let me try. And so she grabbed the lunchbox and she said, she came up to me and asked me if I'd get Carrie to sign it. And that I agreed and went, and I don't remember any of this because mm. these kind of things happen all the time. Yeah. But, um, but it was, it was so sweet to hear that. And she was so excited that Carrie had signed it for this guy. And it really is just a great example and a reminder to me of how, generous and cool Carrie was because she really did always say yes. Like that's, that's just how she was. And uh, so it was nice to hear people's lives touched in, in that way. What was your relationship after you moved on from the job? I, I just, I know from my assistant days that it, it's such a uh, complicated relationship and uh, and walking away from it just because you're no longer an employee, it feels impossible sometimes. And I, I still have this feeling like these people I worked for are like my children uh, out there in the world, even though they're like, I'm, you know, they're old enough to be my parents. What, what was that experience for you? Uh, I, I felt a lot of the same things you just described. Like, uh, you know, I felt like she was a family. We did stay in touch. We had lots of texting and emails and I would go to her birthday parties. I had just seen her at her birthday party before, um, before she passed away. Um, so we definitely stayed in touch, but it was different. It's just like when you leave any, any, um, job really, I guess, or move away from your family. And she, um, one of the reasons I left was because, uh, she was about to move to London to shoot Star Wars. So she was out of the country for a big chunk of time. So, so a lot, uh, a lot changed in her life at that time and, uh, and in mine too, really. But we stayed in touch. I mean, she, the, the truth is everything with her was so memorable and heightened because she was uh, a big star. She had a big personality. She didn't like things to be boring uh, or, or uninteresting. So, so many of my experiences with her, with her were like trauma in a good way. Like, like, I can't believe this is happening or, you know, like that sort of, that sort of vibe. Um, so when you're around someone like that, they really do build a home inside you. And, um, so I, I really, even now still feel very connected to her, um, for, for having, you know, cause she did sort of bring me off of that graveyard shift. I was living a dark life and suddenly I'm, you know, at her mansion with blue skies and uh, sparkling lights everywhere. And I'll, uh, I'll always be grateful for that. 
Byron, thank you so much for doing this. Thank you, you for guys. being here. Thank you for having thank me. Thank you for I, taking the time. I hope I didn't babble too much like a crazy you person. You didn't. Oh, no. no. please. Oh, thanks, you guys. And, and then come I, back. Byron, then you were just right. Oh, yeah, well, <laughs> mine are not going to be, uh, mine are not, not uh, book worthy, but yes, we'll, we'll talk shop. I love that. <laughs> thanks, you guys. I appreciate you thank a lot. Thank you. Good health. Take care of yourself out there. Say hey to Steven. I will. Thanks, friends. A Star is Bored is the book, Byron Lane. Thanks, Thank you, you guys. Well, Matt, we've come to the end of another episode. Dave, 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 Dave. Thank you for being here with me, giving Thank me you, a Matt. reason to live. Thank you, Matt. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Thank you for reviewing us on Apple Podcasts with five stars only, of course. Thank you to Renee Colvert with a T, mm-hmm. our, our producer. Thank you to Ryan Connor, our engineer. Thank you to everybody at Earwolf. Uh-huh. Thank um, you, Ben Wise, for the music. Yes. And thank you, listener, for listening. Uh, tell a friend. Leave a review. We love you. We love you.